Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. You know, I, I want to I share something that's really close to my heart and, and, and hopefully bring some enlightenment to this season that we have been through over the last few weeks. Um, if I had a message for today, it would simply be this, stuff happens. Stuff happens. You're probably thinking of another word, um, but stuff happens. And we need a, a theology that is large enough to embrace stuff happening. I, I want to read a portion of Scripture that is very near and dear to me, and I'll explain why in a moment. But in John chapter 9, reading from verse 1, it says, As he, speaking of Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. The question that is asked of the disciples to Jesus is not too different to the questions we ask of God today. They are questions that are neat and tidy and demand a restricted answer. Uh, basically what we have here is the disciples saying, um, was this man born blind because of A, he was a sinner, or B, his parents were a sinner? Which one is it, Jesus? Is it A or is it B? Give us an answer quickly so that we can move on with our lives. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer or asked something of God that is along those lines where we give Him a couple of options, it's neat and tidy, we'd like an answer, we'd like it now and we want to be able to move on from this circumstance and situation. Hey, look, if I'm honest with you, I wish life was like that. I wish God answered uh, according to the A or B option. The trouble is... When you look at the response of Jesus, He has nothing to do with the A or B option. What do you do when God won't answer your A or B option? You have to go to other options. And unfortunately, those options aren't as easy or as clean or as tidy. See, the difference between the question that was asked and the answer given is the question was just a shallow question. But the answer Jesus gave was much deeper. Much more thought had been given to the answer than the question. Jesus said, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in Him. If you read on in the story, you will see that Jesus uh, makes a couple of mud pies. He spits on the ground. He, he makes uh, some mud with the dirt that's on the ground. He picks up those mud pies and uh, puts mud in the blind man's eyes and prays for him and heals him and he can now see. It's a miracle. Was that what Jesus was referring to? Did that whole moment come so that the healing power of God could be seen in this young man's life? I believe the answer to that question is yes and no. 
For that young man, yes, healing was definitely on God's agenda. That was definitely part of the answer. That was definitely part of God being glorified in and through this young man's life. But what about everyone else who does not get healed? Is there not an answer for those that do not get healed? Does our theology stop the moment somebody doesn't get healed? Do we have no answers for the world, a broken, lost, hurting world, just because somebody doesn't get healed, just because our answers or our questions do not get answered according to our A or B options? Is there not something else that we can find in the midst of trial, tragedy and loss? See, this portion of Scripture means so much to me because it's the portion of Scripture that I felt God speak to me in and around the time that our son Mitch was born 15 years ago. As many of you would know that have been around for a while because I've told this story in numerous ways and at numerous times about the complications surrounding the birth of our middle son, our one and only son, He's like Jesus because He's our one and only Son. His name, Mitchell, means like God. And He's like the Holy Spirit because He's here, there and everywhere. He's just it and a bit is our Mitch. But upon conception, they picked up some complications in the womb and they strongly advised us to abort. We said, no, we take our chances with God and and, uh, we held our line and Mitch was born. And some of the complications that they picked up in the womb uh, ended up being our reality. Not all of them, they they painted a very dark picture. And I thank God that um, for Mitch, many of those things never came to pass, but some of the things they picked up were his reality. And I remember this particular portion of Scripture speaking to me Because while I believe in a God that heals, and that's the nature of that story right there, that this is a God that heals. As I looked at this young baby uh, that had no digits on his left hand, I was thinking, my goodness me, if, if this young man doesn't get healed, is his life over? Do we just discard him now? The fact that I don't have the specific answers to the questions that I have, is it over? Is my theology that shallow that I can offer my son nothing more than uh, I'm going to stand with you in your healing? Is there not something more that I can offer him in that moment? And and I, I felt in the darkness of night and in the tears and in the quiet times, Uh, God spoke to me that God's glory can be manifest in many ways. Healing is just one of them. And I remember getting a hold of this young child of ours that we called Mitch, that means like God. And I knew this to be true from that day forth, that whether he gets miraculously healed and one day he wakes up with five digits on his right uh, left hand. He's already got the ones on the right. That was a miracle. Woo-hoo. But on his left hand, which would be a miracle and, 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 and bring glory to God. Absolutely. But I believe that whatever happens, his life can bring glory and meaning. His life can be a, a, a moment His life can be a message. And I concluded 
that if God healed him, it would be a miracle and that God's life would be seen through that miracle. But if God does not heal him in the way that we've prayed many times, then this young man's life would be used for the glory of God. In the way he conducts himself, in the way he handles himself, in the way he speaks over people, in the way he learns to play a guitar left-handed, although he's normally right-handed, in everything he does, he's gonna bring glory to God through the way He lives His life. There is answers outside of our A, B options. Amen. To quote Paul Scanlon, he says this, that meaning in life, and I've added, and to life's tough questions are forged, not found. I'll say that again. Meaning in life and to life's tough questions are forged, not found. See, we tend to think that meaning is just found. But you don't find answers to the tough questions in life just lying around. Why do bad things happen to good people? The answer to that question is not just lying around but they are forged over time. And over time, meaning comes. Forging implies an intense heat. Forging implies a hammering, a moulding and a fashioning. Forging is not tidy. It's not neat. It's not black and white. It's not A or B. It's often messy. It's often grey. And it's often untidy. But you know what? It's in the grey. And it's in the messy. It's in the untidy. That's where we grow. It's when we're not in control. That's where we grow. That's where we learn things about ourselves that we never would in the tidy A, B options of life. It's where we grow. Meaning is forged through suffering, sleepless nights. It's forwards when it's you and God and you and God alone. It's those moments that we get meaning and answers to some of those difficult questions in life. We've been through a pretty tough season as a church and meaning will come but it may not come today. It may come off the back of a few sleepless nights, a few restless nights, a few you and God alone moments. See, destiny is decided by God, but meaning is decided by you. Therefore, meaning is more powerful than destiny. And the wrong meaning for your life can detract, derail and delay your destiny. It's this meaning that brings identity to our life. Whatever you think a thing means ultimately shapes the next person that you will become. 
You see, Joseph is a great example of this. I really connect with Joseph's life. He would definitely be one of my heroes of the faith. One of my favourite Bible characters. He was a young man who at the age of 17 had a great dream. A dream of greatness and great things. And as often is the case when you are a teenager, enthusiasm is present, but not wisdom. And so in his enthusiasm, but lack of wisdom, he went and told his brothers, hey guys, I had an incredible dream and it's amazing. God's gonna do great things through me. And guess what? The best bit is you guys were in the dream and guess what you're all doing? You were bowing down to me. Enthusiastic, but not wise. And instead of his life from that moment going from strength to strength, as we would like it all to be, as us A, B option people would like it to be, as us neat and tidy disciples of God would like it to be. How many would you like Joseph's life just to go from strength to strength in that moment? But it doesn't. It goes in completely the opposite direction. It goes from bad to worse. It doesn't go from strength to strength. It goes from bad to worse. And at that moment, Joseph had options around the meaning of what was going on. He tells his brothers that he's had this dream. They get jealous of him and they throw him in a pit. And at that moment, what meaning Joseph's concludes of his life at that moment will determine his destiny. In that season where it went from bad to worse, Joseph could have concluded that God had abandoned him, that God had forsaken him. He could have adopted a victim mentality And he could have stayed in the pain of the rejection of his brothers for his entire life. And his life could have played out so differently than it did. He could have lived as a victim. He could have stayed in the pain and wrote books about the pain, written songs about the pain, as many of our songwriters do today and make lots of money. Songs about breakups and songs about bad things happening and and singing the blues. He could have stayed in that. But it was during the down and out season of his life that Joseph faced a number of tests. And it's how we handle those tests because those tests that Joseph faced are the very same tests that we will face. And how we face those tests and how we embrace those tests and the meaning we bring to those tests will determine our future. It will determine whether we live as a victim or not. And so I wanna look at some of the tests that this young man Joseph went through in the dark places of his life. 
and the meaning that he brought to those tests in order to get him through. See, meaning is forged as we pass those tests that we face. The first test that we see this young man Joseph face and one that we're all going to face is the rejection test. See, not everyone is going to be as enthusiastic as you about the things that you are. And so when Joseph went to his brothers and said, hey guys, I've had a dream, it's amazing. You're going to be so pumped. He was shocked that they weren't. He was shocked. In actual fact, in Genesis 37 verse 5, it says Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. They hated him all the more. And they rejected him. When you're in that place of rejection, it all happens to, it happens to all of us. I don't know if you can think back to school or maybe you're in school right now. I don't know a person that hasn't been kind of like Mr. Popular one minute and then on the outer the next. Just overnight, overnight, I know the teachers are nodding. There's kids who just like, they are Mr. Popular, Mrs. Popular and all of a sudden now they're on the outer. And, and as parents and as teachers, we have to help bring meaning to those moments in our young people's lives. And you know what? Sometimes stuff happens. And it's how we handle the stuff and how we handle the tests. And the meaning we bring to those moments. If we don't bring the right meaning to those moments, it will make, it'll bring an identity that is not true to who we really are. If we don't navigate those moments, we're going to conclude that nobody loves us. Everybody hates me. I think I'll eat worms. <laughs> Fat ones, skinny ones and all the rest of them. And we can live in the pain of that moment and never get over it. Instead of trying to bring the right meaning. And I think when Joseph was, was in that pit and rejected by his brothers, I think he would have had to, like we all do, is just get some right thinking around that. Yeah. And in the pain and in, 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 in the hurt of the rejection, instead of focusing on the fact that you're not loved, say, I am a child of God. Yeah. I don't know why they've rejected me right now. I don't know what it is that I've done necessarily, but I do know this, God loves me. Yeah. And I'm a child of God and I'm precious in His eyes. And I'm not going to compromise who I am and what I believe just to fit in. I don't need the approval of my peers in order to know that I'm loved and that I'm special. And can I say, often the rejection comes out of jealousy. We know according to the Scripture that Joseph's brothers, they were just jealous of him. And I've learned to adapt that thinking to my life. And so when someone rejects me, I just sort of, you know, kind of conclude that, you know, they're probably just jealous. And then look at myself in the mirror and say, and you know, and you know what? They've got a lot to be jealous about. <laughs> Far better that than just kind of go into a little hole where no one loves you and everyone hates you. And now we have to compromise who we are in order to get favour with people. And we're going to have to learn to do the same. I really don't want to embarrass my daughter or her 
boyfriend, but you did something now that really blessed me. And it's probably sacred and I probably shouldn't be sharing it, but as sacred as it is, I think it's an incredible lesson. And so before Nat started dating Geordie, he came to ask me if it was okay. Every young man out there, tick. Okay, you're thinking of asking a young lady out in this church? Talk to dad. Tick, well done. And I remember sitting down there having a coffee and uh, he's a little bit nervous and I said, no, I'm not here to make it difficult, just chill. And he said, he chilled and we had a chat. And I asked him this question. I said, what is it you like about our daughter? And in my head, I've got to be honest, I was thinking, if he says she's hot, <laughs> I was going to punch you in the head. I was. I was just going <laughs> to... Imagine, oh, she's sexy. Yeah, <laughs> boom. Just like... <laughs> but he didn't. He didn't. He's smart and good looking. And this is what he said. And, and it was the speed in which he answered. It was the clarity and the conviction which impressed me. He said, I love the fact that Geordie is comfortable in her own skin. I love the fact that she doesn't care what people think. And I thought, gee, that is my daughter. And I love the fact that she lives above the pettiness of high school. And I knew what that meant. And to get to that place in life, you don't just find it. To get to that place, it's not just laying around. It's not just like a jacket you can put on. It's forged. It's forged through being rejected. It's forged through not being on the in crowd. And it's forged through going to school one day and everyone's your friend and then going the next day and they're not your friend and, and knowing how to manage that and forging that. So that when she dates a young man, it's a quality that is intrinsically a part of her. Not something she's born with, but something she's forged through finding correct meaning in the rejection moments. And every one of us has them. We all have rejection out of favour seasons and moments in our life, even the best of us, even the best looking of us, even the most popular of us, even the most anointed or those who have been serving Jesus the longest. It happens. It happened to Jesus. He was rejected by men and despised. But he taught us how to bring meaning to those moments. Don't waste your rejection. Rejection's coming. Don't waste it with poor meaning. Don't waste it with poor meaning. Second test is the isolation test. Joseph finds himself in a pit all alone in Genesis 37 verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornated robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him in a cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. Like with the rejection test, the result of rejection is isolation. And it's that loneliness. And again, like Joseph, we will all face that. And if we don't face it well and we bring the wrong meaning to our loneliness, we will distort our destiny. Do you know, I see so many desperate young ladies and not so young ladies that would rather marry the wrong person 
than be alone. And that says one thing to me, they haven't navigated their isolation test well. They've, got, they've not grasped the right meaning of that season. Because in your loneliness, there are things that we are meant to learn and there's meanings that we are meant to forge in that time. T.D. Jake's mother said this when she was on the, uh, in the cotton fields picking cotton as a young woman of God. She said, it was on the cotton field that I learned to be alone without being lonely. Don't waste your isolation. Don't bring wrong meaning to your isolation. You might be alone. You might be rejected. But it doesn't mean you're not loved. It doesn't mean God has finished with you. It doesn't mean He's forsaken you. It doesn't mean He's not true to His Word. And they're all the thoughts you have to fashion and, and fight. And in the midnight hour, and can I say for me, my midnight hour is two o'clock. That is my low moment. That is my darkest moment. If I wake up in the middle of the night, for me, it's always two o'clock something. It's always two something. And, and, and that's where the, the, the horrible, negative, nasty thoughts come. You might've thought as a pastor, I was immune from that. No, no, no. It comes and it comes in waves. And you just have to be able to get a hold of those thoughts. And the things I'm talking out of today are out of those dark moments. They're out of those lonely moments. They're out of those rejected moments. They're out of those tears in my eyes moments. They're out of God, what is going on moments. And how we navigate those moments because they come to all of us. And the meaning we forge in those moments are going to determine our future. They'll determine who we marry. They'll determine our belief systems. Have you learnt to be alone without being lonely? I, I, I fear for the whole social media thing. We, we've kind of said, look, if I can't have my friends around, I'm going to have virtual real friends. And, and so we get on social media and, and we, we judge our worth by our likes or lack of likes. And it's in the loneliness. God is trying to bring meaning to our life. And we've got to start turning into a positive. You know, I used to... I used to hate travelling in, in, on planes and had all my reasons why. And then I thought, this is ridiculous. My future is air travel and, and I might as well just put a positive spin on this. And so, you know what? This is what I started to do. I thought, I'm on a plane. There's no internet connection. There's no church congregation. More often than not, there's no kids. And I thought, I'm all alone. That's awesome. No interruptions. And I get to do some things I really love doing. Reading, watching movies, and catching up on some sleep. Wow. And now all of a sudden, air travel for me wasn't so much a burden, but a privilege. Don't waste your rejection. Don't waste your isolation. Thirdly was a loyalty test. Joseph was loyal to God no matter what. 
He found himself out of the pit, sold as a slave, and found himself in Potiphar's house. And while he was in Potiphar's house, he caught the attention of Potiphar's wife. He was this young, fit, handsome Hebrew boy, and he had an accent. And Potiphar's wife obviously got bored of Potiphar and thought the young, good-looking, handsome, slightly tanned, love his cute little accent guy. And she said, come to bed with me. And Joseph answered, and every one of you young people need to know this. Joseph's answer. He said, I'm not tired. (laughs) She said, come to bed with me. He said, no, I'm not tired. In Genesis 39, verse 7, it says, After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, Get this, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you and because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing against God? Joseph was able to forge meaning in this moment. Instead of saying, this is my reward. I deserve this. He had a loyalty that was a 3D loyalty. He was loyal to God. How could I do this to God? A loyalty to others. How could I do this to my boss? How could I do this to my master? When you're at work and someone says, hey, just, just use the boss's internet. How, how could I do such a thing? It's not my internet. Unless your boss has specifically said you can use Facebook at work, don't use it. You are robbing your boss of his internet. It's not yours. How can you do such a thing to God? How can I do such a thing to others? And you know what? Even if God didn't look, and even if my boss never found out, there's still me. I've got to live with me. How could I do such a thing to me? 3D loyalty to God, to others, and to himself. There are many people that get away with many things, but they know they did it. And that's what eats them up. And so he was able to bring meaning. I can't do this. He was loyal to God. Number four, the shelf test. The shelf test. The shelf test is a season of ineffectiveness and non-recognition. It's Joseph in jail. Because he would not sleep with Potiphar's wife, you think you'd be rewarded, wouldn't you? You think God would say, well done, good faithful servant. But his wife, out of being jealous again, goes to her husband and says, this young Hebrew has been sent to us to make sport of the women. Potiphar, who should have known better, he put Joseph in charge. He would have known it was against his character. But he chose to side with his wife. Probably thought, you know what, I I know you're innocent, but I can't put up with my nagging wife. And so he throws 
Well, has Joseph thrown into prison? Not for 10 days, not even for 10 months, but over 10 years. This mighty man of God has been put on the shelf again. His ministry, his calling, seemingly unnoticed and unseen. This is going to happen in our lives. Sometimes we're being used and other times we're not being used. And how we navigate that. See, if we find our meaning, if we find our identity in what we do, we won't handle the seasons on the shelf very well. We won't handle those seasons well. Sometimes God uses us in incredible ways and other times He just causes us to sit and rest and be in the background. And we have to be able to handle those seasons. It's a shelf test. In Genesis 39, verse 19, it says, When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison and placed at the place where the king's prisoners were confirmed. This is Jesus on the cross. Those moments where we look anything but victorious. And we've got to learn to forge meaning in those moments. Imagine uh, Joseph, what is going on, God? I didn't sleep with that woman, now I'm being punished for it. Where are you? But somehow he managed to forge meaning. And in the midst of the uncertainty and untidiness and the greyness in which he was living, he found favour with the jailer. And the jailer put him in charge of everything. Because Joseph was able to forge meaning and keep a good attitude. And so the jailer was able to say, hey Joseph, not coming into work today, just look after things, that'd be great. And here's Joseph, a prisoner in charge of the other prisoners. And he managed his shelf test well. Number five, the silence test. Joseph was a man that could hold his tongue. When you've been rejected and wrongly accused and falsely accused, it's real easy just to start whinging and complaining and telling everyone and enlisting people on your side. But Joseph didn't do that. I'm sure he felt like it. And, and, and maybe he even did, but had enough nous to know he had and repent and, and make some changes. And I think for all of us, I think we're all guilty of failing these tests from time to time. The question is, are you aware of it enough to make the change so we don't keep making the same mistake? And so he's silent. He's not complaining. He's not justifying. He's not enlisting others. And God showed him kindness as a result. This is not unlike the moment where Jesus stood before the high priest and he was silent. Can I just say in a social media world in which we live, don't take to Facebook or Instagram or any form of social media in your pain. 
Don't take to social media in your pain. Be silent. Because what you're going to do is enlist a whole heap of sympathy with people who don't necessarily have the right meaning for your life. And they can be the ones who are holding you in a place that God is wanting to elevate you out of. One of the biggest problems in the church is well-meaning Christians who haven't forged their own meaning. And so they try and help others. And, and someone who hasn't forged their own meaning for their life can't help you with meaning for your life. And so that's why we just need to be silent. And we will be misunderstood. But I'd encourage you to do that. Number six, the endurance test. Joseph never gave up. We can read the book of Genesis and think that this happened in a matter of months, but it wasn't. From dream to fulfillment of dream, some 22 years passed. We're coming up to our 22nd year as a church. I get excited about what it is that God wants to do in our 22nd year. And this I know, he'll do more in our 22nd year by virtue of me being around than if I'd given up. That I do know. That I do know. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I know more can happen by virtue of me being here than me giving up. If God wants to do something in your 22nd year, you better make sure you're around for that 22nd year. So he endures. He never gives up. You know, when the 20-year mark had passed and Joseph is in the prison and there are two prisoners that had a dream and he interprets their dream and, and what he interpreted came to pass for both of them. One, he said, you're going to be killed. The other, you're going to be reinstated to Pharaoh's courts. And it came to pass. One guy was taken away and never seen again. But the cupbearer was elevated to his old position. And Joseph said, do not forget me. Remember me to Pharaoh. And he went, yeah, 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 sure, 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 sure. Let's do coffee. <laughs> One of those virtual reality coffees, you know, <laughs> I must do coffee. He's like, yeah, that's, no problems. And Joseph's in jail singing, this is the day the Lord has made. I've waited 20 years. This is the moment. Have you ever been that close? And now he has to wait another couple of years. Ah, uh, yeah, I'm sure he's spoken to Pharaoh. Bit of paperwork to be done. I get that. You know, probably take about a week. Two weeks go by. Three weeks go by. A month goes by. It's like, oh. What's going on? Two whole years. The cupbearer's forgotten Joseph. Pharaoh has a dream. He calls all his spiritual advisors to himself. No one can interpret the dream. And it was then and there the cupbearer says, Ah, oh, I remember now. I remember a young man in jail. 
who interpreted my dream, and it came to pass. Pharaoh says, we'll get him. I don't know, I wasn't there, but I sense that Joseph's in jail, not frantic. I think Joseph has got such meaning, he's forged such meaning for his life that he's kind of concluded, I've got a prison ministry. This is what my life is going to consist of and I'm going to do it to the best I can to the glory of God. One thing I know, he's not sitting there whinging and complaining. He's cleaning his cell. He's singing, this is the day the Lord has made and if there's any prisoners that need a dream interpreting, I'm the man. It's my lot in life. And in that peaceful moment, he gets taken away. They give him a shower and a shave, put on some new clothes, stands before Pharaoh, and he's able to interpret the dream. Why? Because he was still going. It wasn't that he didn't have God's forsaken me thoughts, but he was able to forge greater meaning. God's forsaken me, that, that, that meaning's just lying around. That's everywhere. You don't have to forge God's forsaken me, that's everywhere. That's everywhere. Laziness is everywhere. Discipline is forged. Finding meaning, that's everywhere. Just That's obvious. You're an idiot. You're useless. It's obvious. And, and that's the meaning people will try and put on you. And that's the identity that we can form for ourselves if we grab a hold of that meaning. Because no, no, it's not, it's not that. I'm better than that. I'm better than that. I don't get this, Lord. And 22 years passes and he's around. Which brings me to my seventh test as the band come. It's the success test. See, success will test you more than failure ever will. Joseph so impressed Pharaoh. Not only was he able to interpret Pharaoh's dream, but he was able to come up with an economic plan based upon that dream. He said, basically, you're going to have seven good years and seven lean years, and this is what I suggest you do. He was a strategist, and he was an executioner. He wasn't just spiritual. He was practical. He didn't just kiss his brains goodbye. He wasn't just like, ooh, I just got a dream. He had a dream. He could interpret the dream. But he had smarts. He was thoughtful. He was practical. He had a strategic plan. And he was able to execute it. No wonder, Pharaoh said, you're the man, you're in charge. Got the best clothes, got the best chariot, the best horses. Seven years went by, lots of food. Then the famine struck. And the famine was so severe, the whole earth felt the impact, including the town where, Jesus, uh, where Joseph grew up. And it was in that town where his family still lived. And it was the family that came to Egypt to get some food. And Joseph, when he saw his brothers, he recognised them immediately. They didn't recognise him, of course. How would you? Last time they saw him, he was 17. He was in a pit. He's now in his mid-40s. 
And not only that, he looks like an Egyptian, sounds like an Egyptian, and walks <laughs> like an Egyptian. I have no idea it's him. Joseph cleared the room out one day, told his brothers who he was. And he wept so loud that all in the courts heard him. The brothers were terrified. Their terror is understandable, but the terror came from wrong meaning. They concluded, we've been bad to Joseph. And now he's going to treat us badly. That was the meaning that they found. That's the easy one just laying around. Anyone can come up with that conclusion. But over 22 years, Joseph had forged new meaning for his life. And he saw the whole event so differently than his brothers. And how he saw it did not just fall into his lap. I've said it before, I'll say it again. It was forged over time. His thinking and the meaning that he concluded came in the deepest, darkest recesses of night with tears in his eyes and questions in his heart. And he forged new meaning. And so when confronted with his brothers, his brothers in the meaning they just found at the moment said, oh, it's going to kill us. And these are some of the most powerful words you're going to find in Scripture. It echoes and reflects the heart of Christ. In Genesis 20, 50 verse 20, it says, guys, you're killing me here. Guys, settle down. You're breaking my heart. The meaning you have of this whole event is not the meaning I've can come to. It's not the meaning I've concluded. I have a different meaning for this whole purpose than you are presently throwing at me right now. Don't worry, don't panic. You see, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. That day you threw me in the pit, God was in it. God was right there in the pit with me, making sure that I would end up at this moment to save not just your lives, but mom and dad and my cousins and my aunties and my uncles and a whole nation. You see, church, God is doing more behind our back than in front of our face. And my prayer that for us as a church, that in this season, we would forge the right meaning. People ask me, how's Lisa doing? Lisa's doing exactly what you'd expect. She's up, she's down, she's everything in between and it's right and it's fitting. Because these moments don't just have easy A, B answers. And there's going to be dark nights for her and there's going to be tears for her. 
And it's going to be her and God alone moments. And we need to be there for her in those moments, but not interfere with those moments. Being there and interfering is two different things. And Lisa's just one of our precious people. There's her family to consider. But there are others that are going through stuff because stuff happens. Two people got hit with lightning that day. One lived, one died. I can't explain that. But I do know there's meaning to be found. And it's not just laying around. It's going to be through intense heat, hammering and forging. For Pastor Danny and Sharon, same thing. Oh, we need to be there for them, church, but please don't interfere with your meaning. Please don't give little off pat A, B answers. It's not time for that. It never was. Never has been. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because it does. Why do good things happen to bad people? Because it does. The Bible says the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. And we need a theology that is forged with correct meaning that can hold us. Otherwise, we're going to write people off. Imagine me or Kath discarding our son because our prayers weren't answered according to our A, B options. I'm convinced to most of our prayers, God's answer is none of the above. I was thinking of calling it none of the above, this message. None of the above. What is the answer then? Hang around. Pass this test. See what you don't know, Nat. This girl that you've fallen in love with and thinks is pretty sweet and the qualities you like about her you can thank me later. But it started when she was two and we held her in a bedroom and we would not let her out. She was so strong-willed. So it's your bedtime. I don't want to go to bed. It's fine. You don't have to want to go. I want you to go. I'm not tired. That's fine. I'm tired of you. Go to bed. <laughs> and I remember this one night. It was like one of those dark, teary, horrible you better grab the right meaning moments. Little girls on the other side of the door. And I'm saying, you're not coming out. They're standing there holding the door. And Cass tearing as a mum, as you can only imagine. Hearts breaking for this young daughter. She hasn't got a few, she's got a few choice words to say about me being the dad, just standing there holding my line. Can you imagine if I concluded just found meaning. If I just went for found meaning and not forged meaning, like I said, I'm a bad husband because my wife's upset with me now. I'm a terrible father because I'm making my daughter cry. They're the easy answers. Tony never cried at the funeral, doesn't care. 
They're, they're easy answers. Anyone can come up with that. But we don't want easy answers. We want forged answers. And I remember standing there, just dealing with that and dealing with that and just, just trying to, this is crazy God. And any parent out there that's had one of those moments, well done. Like, wife, love, get out. Get, just, just. <laughs> and the storm subsided. The grip of my hand was just like shot. Just. And I never forget it. She fell asleep right behind the door. Oh, oh man, it's, it's quiet now. Like, had to try and push the door <laughs> without waking up and just, she just rolled. <laughs> I just, so I snuck in the door, picked her up, put her to bed. I liked about it. So yeah, won. I won a battle. But it wasn't a joyous occasion. Because sometimes winning sucks. You ever thought of that? Then I have to talk to my wife and bring some meaning to that situation. I said, babe, I get it. I get your tears. I get your word. I get it. But there's something bigger going on here. We're not bad parents. We're good parents. It's what good parents do. Good parents lead. Good parents aren't dictated to by the whims and ways of what their kids want to do. So we let this one go, it's something else later on. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is us. Before many of you were born, we had this is us. It's what we do. I feel the same in leading a church. Give some advice. The advice is not taken. Devastation comes as a result. Yay, I was right. It's not pretty. You have to forge meaning. Because at that moment, what's the point? People are going to do what they want to do anyway. Say, no, no, no. Hold your line. Amen. I know many of you in this room are going through moments. It may not be up there with what Lisa's dealing with, but for some of you, it's pretty close and it's been a long time. And I know you feel like giving up and you're coming up with some conclusions that are not right. You stand, all of us that stand in this place. I want to pray a prayer that helps you hold your line so that true meaning is forged in this season of your life. I sense there are some that are beginning to believe the lie that God doesn't love you. He's forsaken you. You're listening to the, how could this happen? If God's really a God of love. Don't allow that found meaning, that easy stuff that's laying around to shape your thinking. But dig deep. 
dig deep. Why do these incredibly bad things happen to incredibly good people? It does. Always has. And always will. Someone said to me, he was a pastor. I said, can you imagine for a moment if being a pastor made you immune? Do you know how many would want to be a pastor? We'd have nothing to do with church. We'd have nothing to do with God. We'd have nothing to do with Christ. We just want to be a selfish motive. Pastor, immune. God is trying to forge meaning at this time for every one of us. Look at the precious face in this room. I know some of the pain you're going through. Outside of the collective pain with Chris and Lisa, there's other stuff going on in your world. And I wish I had an A, B option. I wish I had a magic wand. I wish I had a pill you could take. What we do have is our community. That's why for me, the local church is so important. It's community. It's people being there for you when they can't be there, right there with you. Does that make sense? We can't walk your journey with you. It just, uh, man. And if, you, if you're one of those that say, I know what you're going through, can we stop that? We don't know what people are going through. We can't imagine. You can't imagine what I'm going through. I can't imagine what you're going through. But we do want to know that as you are forging meaning, we're there for you. We're there for you. That in your loneliness, you're not alone. In your pain, it's a shared pain. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 